as we find it in Lord's Day 10. And you'll be able to find that on page 525 of your book of praise. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things, and still upholds them by his providence. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God is in control. This isn't something that's just true when it seems like everything's in control to us. It's true at all times. And we profess that in our Lord's Day today. It's even true when things seem to be spinning out of control for us. Leaf and blade. Our catechism says, harvest time, when things are going well, and you see leaves, blades of grass, blades of crops coming up out of the ground, and everything's turning green. In rain, in fruitful years, in health, and in riches, God is in control in all of these times. But he's also in control when things go poorly. In years of drought, when we can't even put anything into the ground because we know that it all will die. In years of barrenness, when time and time again we try to put something into the ground and there's nothing that comes out of all of our work, sweat, and all of our tears. And in sickness, when our bodies are failing us. In poverty, when we face distress and we're not really sure if we're going to be able to make ends meet come the end of the month. Even in these times, God is in control. Even these events come to us from His fatherly hand. As the Bible says, God who made the world and everything in it gives to all life and breath and all things. In Him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, 24-25 and verse 28. He upholds it. He continues to care for it by His command, saying, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Genesis 8, 22. And even those things that we would consider from an earthly perspective to be by chance, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
Proverbs 16, verse 33. God is in control over all things, good or bad, in good times or in bad. But knowing He is in control and responding to the fact that He is in control are two different things, aren't they? We'll look at that today, this Sunday afternoon, under the theme, Patient in Adversity, Thankful in Prosperity. Before we get into the what of being patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity, we have to understand the why. Why can we be so certain that although we face difficulties in life, God has our best interest, that God has our eternal perspective in mind. We can be certain of this because of what we're confessing today as we come to sit under the authority of the gospel. Jesus Christ came to earth to suffer and to die so that our relationship to God could be restored again. As we read in Romans 8, Romans 8, at the very end there, it said that the Father was willing to give up His own beloved Son to restore to Him whoever believes in His name. If we are to look at how we are to respond to the fact of God's control, then this has to be something that's at the forefront of our minds. Why? Why is it so important that it has to be at the forefront of our minds? This, what Jesus Christ has done for us to, to make us his own possession. Because tribulation will come. Everybody's life has experienced, does experience, or will experience tragedy. It doesn't mean that everybody's tragedy is the same Everybody's suffering is the same. Many people will experience it more strongly than others. But it's a fact of living in this broken world. And in our passage today, we read about that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? All of these things are events that Christians around the world have had to experience. These things are things that Christians are not exempt from. Christians will suffer in this broken world. But in all things, God works these things together for the good of those who love Him. Now there can be the temptation to think, how? I have no idea how God is going to work these things for my good. How He could possibly work these things for my good. And if you were to come to me as pastor and you were to ask me, it's quite possible that I would be, able, that I would be responding in the same way. You know what? I have no idea how God is going to work through this for your good. 
but he will. Consider what we're able to celebrate from Sunday to Sunday as we hear the gospel proclaimed. And especially on those Sundays when we gather together and we are able to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and have this made vividly real for us. The greatest evil that could ever be done. The crucifixion of the Son of God Himself turned out for the good of those whom God loved, whom He had called according to His purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. If God was able to do so with the greatest wickedness that this world had ever faced, can He not do it in our situation? If it's possible for Him to do it with a wickedness that's so much greater than our own situation, can He not do it in my own situation? A situation in which we might face hardship, injustice, uncertainty, yes, but which pales in comparison to the wickedness done in the crucifixion of the Son of God Himself. So as we sit under the Gospel preaching Sunday after Sunday again, we are reminded of that. Not just that Christ has bought us with His blood. And not just that believers, each and every one of them, can take comfort in knowing that they belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, and will be with Him eternally, but that He works in the here and now, even in our adversity. And nothing can separate us from His love. You who are loved by God for the sake of Christ, this doesn't change just because you struggle. Just because you struggle with adversity. Because of this, don't be afraid to talk about your difficulties as if somehow some people will think that you are at a distance from God because of it. To talk about your struggles with mental illness, your loneliness, your unemployment, to voice your need to those who are around and to cry out to the Lord Himself. Take your broken heart to Him. Weep. And then give thanks to Him that He is in control even in this. And then wait patiently on the Lord, having committed your way to Him. Wait for Him to confirm you in His love. Now this might not mean healing or deliverance in the immediate moment. The Bible teaches us that this is something that we might not see an immediate answer to. And you, can only, you, you only have to think about Elijah if you think back, Elijah was a, an Old Testament prophet. You may or may not be familiar with him. There's time to become familiar with him. But Elijah, he was an Old Testament prophet who, who was praying for and who was preaching revival in his nation. And there was a time when he thought it had come. He had all of the foreign prophets, all of the prophets of this foreign god, Baal, 
who were dancing around an altar and who were trying to call down fire. And it was, uh, it was a competition, you might say, between him and these other prophets. And nothing came of that. And then when he had prayed, God literally sent down fire from heaven to set his altar ablaze. And after that, for a short time, there seemed to be a spurt of revival, of growth. But what happened? He was driven into the desert. His life was put at risk. Those people who he had thought were part of a revival, they didn't stand up for him. They didn't stand up to protect him. He went alone into the desert. He sat down. And he was so depressed that he cried to God to take his life, to take him out of this world. Now Elijah continued. God came. God encouraged him in that time when he was by himself. And Elijah continued in hiding for a time, and then he went back to work. And God had encouraged him that, yeah, there, there were some who believed. There were 7,000 who had not bent the knee to the idol Baal. But Elijah was not able during his lifetime, he was not able to see such grand revivals as he had hoped for, as he had prayed for. This was not the answer that God had for him. And he bore that suffering. We think in church history as well. There's a man, a famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon, who suffered throughout his life from the very deepest, blackest pits of depression. Yeah, he served God. And he preached faithfully. And yet he still struggled. It might not mean healing or deliverance in the immediate moment. We might continue to suffer from loneliness. But Christ will show his glory as we wait patiently for the Lord. Christ will show his glory even through your suffering as you look to him. As you rest and you trust in his sovereignty. And if we look back on the life of Elijah, we can see how God showed his glory through that. If we look back throughout church history through men like Charles Spurgeon, we can see how God showed his glory even through the darkest hours of these men. Seek to carry on faithfully and diligently in the meantime in the strength that the Lord provides. Because in due time, your God, the one who is your shield about you and your glory, will lift up your head. Psalm 3, verse 3. Give thanks, beloved, and wait patiently. Give thanks for his sovereign control, for his providence, and wait patiently, because whatever may happen, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. This is what worship, while coming before God, sitting under the preaching of his gospel, reminds you of time and time again. This is what the Lord's Supper that we celebrate, month after month, reminds you of again, as you take the bread and wine into your hands. You're reminded that nothing can separate you from the love of the one who died for you to make you his own. And this brings us to our second point.
It's not just in adversity that we can think of God's control. It's not just in adversity that we can think of his sovereign power, his providence. But just as we look to God in times of adversity, we also need to look to him in times of prosperity. And to understand prosperity, we need to understand what the Catechism is talking about when prosperity is mentioned. You see, in our our Western culture today, we have this tendency to compare ourselves to others. There's a bit of a materialistic mindset that all of us carry within ourselves. and, And we tend to compare ourselves to others. So when we read this about prosperity, we think, well... I'm not doing so bad, but I'm not in the 1% like some of these other people. That's for sure. That may be true. But we're still considered prosperous. On the one hand, even in adversity, Canadians who are above the poverty line are among the wealthiest in the world. We're at an age in which we experience the greatest wealth and prosperity that this country has ever known, even though... Ironically, there is an incredible amount of discontent in our country today. But there's even more to prosperity than cash in the bank. What does God's word say? In Deuteronomy 28 and following, it talks about increase as a sign of prosperity. Moses the leader of God's people at that point in time, he says to God's people, the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. You see, prosperity as we see it here is is not really just the state of being wealthy. It's being in a position in which we're blessed by God and we're increasing instead of decreasing. Prosperity doesn't just mean that we are wealthy, but it's a state in which God gives us more than we need, which is the majority of us here today. That's why the Catechism, in comparing adversity with prosperity, uses the language. Rain, meaning rain in season, yielding good crops, fruitful years, food and drink, health and... Yes, also riches. But I want you to notice something. Something that the authors of the Catechism did pretty deliberately because this is exactly in line with God's word. Riches is only one, and it's the last one on the list. The authors of the Catechism, they were simple young preachers who were in their late 20s. They were supported in their work by men who were much richer than themselves. And yet they didn't consider the wealth that they saw all around them as the first sign of prosperity. Rather, God's faithfulness in season and out of season, granting increase, that was the sign of prosperity. That was the biblical sign of prosperity. This, too, is given from God. So in prosperity, too, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For us today, that's something to reflect on as well. When God provides the increase to us and he blesses us, this is a gift from his hand. When you hear 
the gospel preached Sunday after Sunday. When you take part in the Lord's Supper with regularity again, it's a reminder of that fact as well. This is also given to us for the sake of Christ. Now you might think, yes, God, but God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, doesn't he? Yes, God does send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew 5 verse 45 speaks of that. But God's provision for them is just to be a witness to his eternal power and his divine nature. Romans chapter 1 teaches about that. But for you who believe in Christ, it's so much more than just a witness. To you who believe in Christ, this prosperity, this increase that you get, that is a gift. That's a gift from his fatherly hand for the sake of Christ. The gospel bears witness to this. The bread and wine bear witness to this. As we confess in the previous Lord's Day, He is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. And the bread and wine that you hold time and time again bear witness to the truth of His claim over you who believe. They bear witness to the truth of Christ's sacrifice. They bear witness to the fatherhood of God who has become your Father for Christ's sake. And they bear witness to his ongoing care. They bear witness to the fact that nothing can separate you from his love. So, beloved, let us give thanks as we come time and time again under the preaching of the gospel. And let us give thanks as time and time again we are able to participate in the celebration of the sacraments. That each time again we can be reminded that for the sake of Christ, our powerful God has become our faithful Father. And because of His all-encompassing control, we can be patient in adversity. We can be patient in the hard times. And knowing of His control, we can also give thanks whenever we go through a day in which we receive more than we need, in which we receive an increase. And being assured by these realities brought to us through the gospel, we can be assured that so certainly will God, who has become our Father through Christ and because of Christ, hold us fast. Amen. In response to the proclamation,